Right. And I think that it came down to be very, very important, especially on those midweek games too. So if we had a guy who would throw on a Sunday, his pitch count was a little bit higher. His recovery wasn't looking as good whenever we would test him on Tuesday before game time. But being able to say like, hey, like his numbers aren't where you need him to be today. Do you really want him to go out there and throw, eat up one inning for you versus being able to get him for Friday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday, you know, whatever you need out of them type of thing. So I think that it's very important to be able to get those type of metrics too, because we haven't had that in the past. You know, I think that that's cut down on some of the injury rates and all of those type of things too, which yeah. I'll talk a little bit on here in a little bit. Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Pear, and today we've got a guest on that was here before. We actually talked with Kaylee Shores. Uh, she's an athletic trainer, uh, was with Stephen F. Austin, uh, and started using arm care uh, prior to the baseball season, had some great insights into it, and we thought it would make a lot of sense to check back in and, uh, and kind of see how things went and, and just get a take on how the whole season went using, using arm care and, and what else it is going on from there. So Kaylee, glad to have you back. Thank you. Appreciate it. I am very excited to be back on here with y'all. Cool. Jordan's here with us today. Ryan's um, out for some personal reasons, but Jordan, why don't, um, why don't you start off? Yeah. So just, you know, to kind of reintroduce, like Bart said, you know, Kaylee's been on the podcast before, uh, kind of went over some interesting stuff of how she was using it. And it sounds like she got even more in depth with a lot of things. And you know, just like anything, you know, the baseball season, unless you're playing the final game of the year, never really ends out the way that you want it to. You know, I'm in the same boat going back and coaching team team baseball right now. And we obviously didn't didn't win the last game of the year. So I'm right there with you. Uh, it sucks, but it is what it is. There's always prep for next year. Um, what, what what are some of the things you're kind of looking forward to uh, of, of the coming season? I know you guys had some good success stories and obviously saw some below increases. But what what are what are some of your takeaways? Um, so looking into next year, I mean, I think, I mean, this spring semester was a lot of just like tracking and like trying to make the numbers matter. Like, how can I make these things more relevant to coaching staff? You know, I deliver him a report, and, you know, how does it actually matter to him from a performance standpoint? And so that's what a lot of this season was. <clears throat> and actually, I think that we've done a really good job of establishing those things within our coaching staff. Um, but I think next year, the thing that I'm looking forward to is we have a lot of new arms coming in and a lot and just a lot of arms in general. So this year we kind of had the, the issue that I think a lot of colleges are plagued with. So they get into the spring semester. So you start off the fall, you have a pretty good pitching staff number wise. Um, and then Christmas break happens and you lose two or three guys here for grades and you lose, you know, it, it just happens that your your pitching staff gets narrowed down and it's never, it's never the guys that you want to lose. Um, they end up losing. And so um, I think I'm just excited to be able to get some some fresh arms in here and um, just kind of get to continue to, you know, kind of per perfect the craft that we're working on here um, and making the numbers matter even more and being able to use the fall. Because I think that that was kind of the big thing that I realized this year is I didn't use this enough in the fall. I um, but I think it was just kind of piling it, getting it off the ground, figuring out what do the numbers mean? How do they relate to certain different metrics and this side of the other? But I think being able to actually use in the fall and being able to see what the payout is in the spring is going to be the biggest thing for me going forward. Um, and I think, you know, me and my coach have had conversations about arm care all year long. Um, and he's continued and continued and continues to buy into it. Um, you know, he even approached me in the last couple weeks of the season. And he was like, hey, like next year, I need to get our catchers on this. He was like, our catchers will be on this. Um, and, you know, and he's even talked about, you know, like, there might be certain guys that whenever they come in, like new guys we're getting from transfers from JUCOs, 
um, or even freshmen that are coming in that we realize that there might be some type of something wrong in their arm or, you know, whatever, whatever type of screening that we do, whenever they come in to be able to red flag those guys and be able to get them on the Oxford programs too. So um, I think that's awesome that he's going to continue to grow it outside of just our pitching staff, um, being able to see where that kind of takes us. Yeah, for sure. And you, you made a good point of utilizing it even more in the fall, because that's when you're setting that foundation. That's when you're building those guys up. And when I was looking at everything, when I was coaching in college, I didn't have arm care. I didn't have that information. We didn't have those tools that were, you know, at our budget available. You know, we weren't the right. major university, so we didn't have just money raining from the skies. But I always tried to almost overdo the training. And a lot of times I'd end up fatiguing guys. But now, like you're saying, getting in there and hammering it out, really utilizing it, you're going to get that transfer from a JUCO. And the one thing that I always realized when I would get JUCO transfers is, number one, you're going to get a guy – who's got a little more experience. He's not going to be as raw, but he also has a good chance of having a lot of miles. And a lot of yeah. times those miles are on some rocky road. So it's good to be able yeah. to, to understand where that guy's coming in. And what are, what are some ways, like if you have a guy who is exhibiting a couple of those things, because I want people to know that, you know, SFA is probably a pretty good choice to try to look into going to, if you want to have someone taking care of you. So what, what are some ways that you would utilize that with an incoming JUCO transfer? And where to begin on all that? Um, so I think the biggest thing is, like, we talk about, um, obviously, just their initial intake. What do, what do they look like on that first exam that they're doing? Um, and that's going to create a whole story for us. But I think there's obviously going to be more within the cracks that you've got to be able to look into. Um, and that's got to be able to come from clinical decision making um, and your clinical evaluation. Um, so being able to find those things that the strength exams can't find. So a guy who has some type of an internal impingement or some type of... Um, impingement in general or a slap tear that might just be that they've been able to compensate for. Um, Cause I think a lot of those slap tears, you will be able to find the most in those guys who come in uh, in the fall and did not play summer ball. Um, because a lot of those guys with slap tears, they're able to just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And they're able to um, compensate for that. Just like, I mean, that's 90% of baseball players. Um, Real quick, go through and explain impingement. Cause I know a lot of our, our listeners don't necessarily have that. Um, and then I don't know if you want to get into the actual meaning of slap tear. I don't think we need to go there, okay. but if you want to touch on impingement, because I know it's a word that's thrown out a lot, but not a lot of people fully get that. Right. So um, whenever we talk about like an internal impingement um, or even a posterior impingement, we're looking at someone who has um, been able to make compensations in their shoulders based on the demands that are being placed on it. So um, most of the times we'll see guys with that posterior impingement in their shoulder um, from the excessive amount of layback. Um, but you'll see that it'll come true whenever you start to get to that internal rotation. So as soon as they go into that passive internal rotation, you'll just see there's kind of like a, a block. Um, so that is a compensation that's made within the shoulder from soft tissue and just the capsule itself um, and typically involves the labrum to some extent. Um, and a slab tear, so it's a su uh, superior um, labral tear uh, that extends from the anterior to posterior region. So slap tear uh, is mm -hmm. what we call them but it's just it's a labrum tear it's just a type of a of a labrum tear so um which is it you're going to find them in almost every single baseball or any overhead athlete um it's just the natural the body's natural compensation for getting that type of external rotation yeah sorry to interrupt i just know it's always a question no, we you're good because we always hear a slap tear and they think it's like some kind of blunt force trauma like but my kid wasn't involved in a collision it's like well that that's not what a slap tear is so I right. just wanted to touch on that real fast. <laughs> nope, that's good. I, uh, I often forget that I'm not always talking to um, medical professionals and that's not something that's always a common, common term that's known. So 
Um, but yeah, going back to those guys that we come in um, and have from the JUCO guys. Um, so I think just having a good conversation and communication piece with them is probably the most important piece to lay down in the fall with those guys. Um, a lot of times they're coming from a junior college where they have, they probably have an athletic trainer, but they don't ever see that athletic trainer. Um, there's not a relationship that's formed there and they don't really always understand the role and responsibility that an athletic trainer plays, especially within um, kind of the unique role that I play within our baseball program. Um, I'm not just an athletic trainer that sits at the end of the dugout and fits some our seeds and is there if you, you know, get cut off from the turf burn. Um, you know, I'm kind of in the intricate role of playing in the day-to-day um, decision-making and things along those lines. So I think that's really important to be able to establish that with those junior college kids. Um, and then is being able to get the buy-in from them. But I think as soon as they start seeing the numbers and they, they start to get a sense of security that someone is looking out for them um, and that it's not just some type of a, someone's like keeping a thumb on them at all times. It's more of like, I am actually here to help you and I want to help you develop. Um, and being able to, like, I think it'll be able to be helpful for them next year to be able to see, like, I can be able to help them with that data. Say, okay, this is guys that we had come in last year. This is what they look like. And this is their, you know, their total increase in strength and, you know, their performance metrics. So I think obviously it always helps be able to get some data for those guys too. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm understanding correctly. And obviously we've, we've been communicating and staying in touch over a good chunk of time. And I feel like I'm getting to understand a little bit more of the way you work and the way you're involved. And it is a unique role from what a traditional AT is. And I think that's extremely important. And I've had a couple athletic trainers that I've worked extremely well with from the pro side of baseball. Uh, One of them, he's actually in Japan. His name is Yusuke Takahashi. You know, fantastic guy who was one of the first guys that I saw was super hands-on with getting on there. And I could, as a pitching coach, I could go to him and say, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing some imbalances. He would get in there and screen them. And then he would put together a plan to make sure this player's strengthened what he needs. So it sounds like you have a good communication with that entire coaching staff, which is really unique because most of the time, if a player goes and talks to the athletic trainer, the coach, the manager, the pitching coach goes, well, well, don't talk to them. They're going to take you out of the game. Don't even, you don't don't want them to know your name, but this is a different relationship where it's like, no, we're trying to build your performance. We're not just setting a foundation. I'm not taping your ankle. I don't throw bags of ice on you. We want to create you into a high performance, you know, machine when it comes down to it. Am I understanding that? All right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a thousand percent. It's a, it's a conglomerate of people that are just trying to win the most games possible. And um, I think that, you know, my coach had had athletic trainers in the past that kind of went into that kind of traditional athletic trainer role. And it was kind of that, like, hey, don't go talk to them unless you want to be pulled type of situation. Um, And I think, um, you know, he gave me a clean slate. He didn't just assume that all athletic trainers are the same. Um, But we started, you know, we had a really, really good foundation laid from the very first interview that I ever had with him. Um, You know, I, I told him that I don't work, you know, I don't work for you. I work with you. And, you know, some people might kind of, kind of lash at that a little bit because you know technically I'm a little bit of an insubordinate to him but at the same time you want me to be on your team you know I, I'm a coach's kid so I understand kind of those metrics and how you know how a coach is able to be successful because at the end of the day they're they're evaluated by wins and losses and you know mm-hmm. if you can have an athletic trainer on your staff and you know people supports have around you that are trying to help you win the most games possible that's when you're going to be the most successful. And I think you being a coach's kid, like you just mentioned, has probably allowed you, you know, to put on the different lens of not just looking at things through, well, we need to be healthy, but we also need to perform well. Because this right. is the debate I've always had with Ryan. You know, I've told Ryan numerous times, and obviously he's not on here to defend himself, but I've said, if all of our guys are healthy, 
but we win zero games, what did we really accomplish? You know, like right. we have to be able to, to weigh the risk and reward, but be able to push things aggressively enough while staying safe to push development. Um, and with that, I know you were tracking some stuff in terms of performance and strength. I don't know if you wanted to get into that at all right now, but I think it's kind of neat that you're not just putting on the health lens, but you're looking at it from a coaching lens to, to relay information, but also kind of in a sense from a scouting role. Like this is kind of some advanced scouting that you would be doing at, you know, with the MLB draft camps. And you're kind of taking that into your, your world there at SFA in creating an analytics process. And I don't know if you want to right. touch on that at all, or if you're allowed to. Yeah, I can. Um, I'll just, you know, I'll kind of, I've maintained some of the um, privacy of the athletes and all the kind of the stuff that I, I'm willing to put out there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I would say that I did a lot of tracking this spring. Uh, I wish I would have done a little bit more tracking in the fall to be able to do a little bit of compare and contrast because I have some metrics I'll be able to demonstrate um, that are from the fall and spring and be able to do the differences, but I didn't have a ton that was uh, readily accessible to be able to kind of make some of those comparisons. But um, like I said, I was I sat down and it was in the middle of a practice where we were just in the indoor um, and it was raining and I just, it was just batting practice basically. So I was just kind of sitting in the cor corner, like I got to be able to make these matter, these numbers matter. You know, I've got to be able to see how they relate. Like if I have numbers, you know, if I have a primary number right before we're supposed to, you know, have an outing or a bullpen or whatever, and they're down, I've got to be able to show like, okay, this is how it relates to performance. Um, and so all season long, every single outing that the athlete had, I was tracking a number of different metrics so it would be his fresh exam his post exam um comparing his fresh exam to his um, percentage of change over the last six weeks um his rate of perceived exertion his sleep his body you know all of those subjective information um on their ratings um just overall my type of mine and my pitching coaches um observations so how did they look overall without even having numbers in front of us so i'd be like man his, like he cannot command you know this today or he has just not looking right today on this um and then i would also track um performance metrics too so his max velocity his um average velocity and then i would do that in his strike percentage for um overall and then with in each different pitch that he has within his arsenal um sorry i'm not kind of dry um so, you know, if the guy has um, a slider and a changeup and a fastball, then I'm looking at every single one of those metrics. I'm looking at his, his average um, velocity for that certain pitch and then his uh, strike percentage on that too. Um, and then I would also do that in comparison to his, um, his primer. Um, so we kind of, I know that y'all kind of um, give the uh, recommendation to do a fresh exam more often than not. Um, but we actually got in a situation this year where it just, it was taking so much time and I was able to kind of relate a little bit more of the primer numbers um, in relation to their um, performance. Um, so I would just was kind of using that. It was a little bit quicker, especially when we're on the road um, and we're playing a ton of games in a week. You know, we've got a Tuesday, Wednesday, midweek, and then we're on the road for Thursday for our Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, weekend set. So um, being able to track all those things too. So, and while I was doing it, I actually had no idea what I was doing whenever I first started. I was just like, I know that these numbers probably will matter. Um, and I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn as I go. And um, we actually have a guy on our analytics staff um, who's very, very good with the numbers and actually helped me out quite a bit. So we actually have Yakrichek, um, and that helped us with some of the, um, I'll talk a little bit about um, disbursement 
um, and things along those lines. And, and um, for everyone listening me... that doesn't know what Yakertek is, it's just a ball tracking technology that, that gives you movement yep. characteristics and things like that just to fill in any gaps. Yes. And looking at those metrics, I was like, I really have no idea what some of these metrics are. So I just like went to the ones that seemed relatable and um, that mattered in, in the short sense. Um, so obviously there's a lot of factors that go into these metrics, um, but, and they play just one piece of the bigger puzzle. Um, and how many people are on the analytics staff? Is it just one person? Um, I would say it's like one and a half person. Okay. So are you the half person sure or, cause it sounds no. like there might be an extra one in there. So, uh, well, so he's, he's kind of working to be in an analytics position. Um, but he doesn't run anything. He's just kind of like there observing and learning. Um, but so he does help to us give out that some, some context questions. as well. Most <laughs> most teams are going to have like fifteen, maybe twenty guys running an analytics department, and they're going to have right. a lot of organizations have like two guys at an affiliate designated for running those analytics for running technologies. So for all this to be run by, as you say, one and a half people. That right. is, that's not an easy task. I mean, I was, I, I had the job title of pitching analyst for, you know, a good chunk of time. And I understand how much work goes into that. So I won't, I don't want people to glaze over going, oh right. yeah, well, of course, you know, you just, you put it into an Excel sheet or something. It's a lot more than oh, that. No. I understand what you're, what you're saying. And right. I want people to understand how many man hours that actually takes. And then including bus rides, you know, night games, double headers, rain delays, you know, dealing with classes and everything that goes into it. And then now you're learning pitch tracking technologies as well. Right. I think I don't want to glaze over how unique of a role that is because that's a very multifaceted year of learning that I wasn't even aware that you were doing. So that's pretty impressive. Right. And I'll give a shout out to the guy that run our, runs our analytics too. He's actually a um, GA and he was one of my athletes last year. So mm-hmm. um, he's fresh out. Um, and he's just, he's trying to learn it too, but he's a very, very intelligent young man. Um, and I will give a lot of credit to him and what he's done for our program. Cause I mean, we basically went from using no data, no technology to using a lot of technology and a lot of data. And it was kind of me and him just like, how do we navigate this? How do we make it matter? Um, you know, working in terms with baseball cloud too, um, seeing what type of, you know, whatever, but mm-hmm. that's kind of a different track, but, um, <laughs> what, yeah, what's it's, his it's name? a lot. <laughs> His name's Jeremy Rodriguez. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's, he's wildly intelligent. So when you started, you weren't sure what, what you were going to track and if it was going to be valuable. What, what were the insights? You know, how quickly were you starting to see things that were valuable or was it not till the end of the year or when were you starting to use this data for decisions? So our first game was February 18th. Um, and obviously none of the metrics mattered that weekend for me. Um, and then the next weekend set that we had was February 27th. And that was, I had actually two athletes that day that had a primer that was, um, within the warning range. Um, so the program, program itself actually gave it a warning, um, on their deceleration. And I was actually able to see within that outing itself, you know, his command was down, his, this was down and his strike percentage was down. Um, so I would, that's when I like really started to key in and I was like, okay, this, this does matter, but I need to find out where it matters. Um, and, you know, find out where that is actually at. So that's actually how quickly I was able to notice these things, but being able to find some of like the longer term um, data, it, it took me all season. So, um, but I think it'll definitely be able to help me next year. And so when you were finding these things, who were you communicating them with the player, the coaches, how, how was that working? 
Um, I think obviously I like I was so overwhelmed by the data that I just kind of would like talk about it with our analytics guy every once in a while. I mean, he was incredibly overwhelmed himself. Um, but you know, I would kind of touch and go on it a little bit. Um, but if it came to a game time decision and I realized that this guy's number was obviously within a warning or um, even a watch type of situation, I would always communicate that with the coach. Um, and he was very receptive to that kind of feedback and making uh, game time decisions out of the bullpen. Um, you know, whether that be that we, you know, we just let this guy come in for just a few pitches and then pull him out. Um, or if we give that guy a total rest day, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but that those type of decisions were, um, uh, received very well. Yeah. And real quick, I just want to emphasize that you're, you're, when you say you are overwhelmed by the data, it's not because it's difficult. It's because oh, no, you're it's, legitimately it's doing, doing 12 people's jobs with two people. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it, it has that's the overwhelming aspect is I want people to understand how easy the data actually is, whether right. it's Yakker tech or, you know, rap Soto pitch logic, whatever, you know, track man, it's not difficult to understand. Right. It's just, you're legitimately wearing 38 hats. So I yes, want to make yes, sure people yes. know that. Thank you for prefacing that. I probably should have said that a little bit too. It was not the fact that the data itself is really hard to understand. And it's not that whenever you go into the arm care platform or the arm care portal, that the numbers are hard to understand. It's actually very, very simple. And like even my um, lower scale guys are easily able to understand it. Um, so it's actually, it was the work that I put on myself that made it hard. It had nothing to do with the actual metrics itself. Um, so thank you for throwing that in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll dive into the data just a little bit. Um, so um, just as a whole within our pitching staff, um, our strength, uh, total strength increased by 28% this spring. Um, in the fall, we had a lot of increase. Um, but I think just the fact that we were able to have an increase of 28% as an average over our pitching staff is pretty remarkable. I mean, especially yeah. whenever you start to get into the season, it's really, really hard to be able to maintain that strength. Um, and I think that that's something that um, we did very, very well um, in things that I will attribute to arm care itself. Um, and then we were able to see that I'm trying to pull up some data points here. I can't talk all these things off the top of my head. <laughs> um, Okay, so within the 15 different pitches that I looked at, so I had to eliminate a few just because I didn't have, um, you know, enough metrics from them from uh, Yakker Tech, meaning that they didn't pitch at home um, or whatever it may be that they only pitched in a few games. I just kind of eliminated those guys. So I looked at the 15 different pitchers, um, and every single one of those was able to maintain velocity um, throughout the season. And 15 or 10 out of those 15 were able to actually increase velocity throughout the season. Um, nice. So that's pretty significant. Um, and then I have a graph that I can show here too. Okay, so I talk about being able to increase um, velocity. So I oh, look wow. at um, those are those are very significant gains. Those yeah, are, those are yeah. that's big. So I only had four guys' numbers from the fall that were easily accessible, like I said, to be able to look at their velocity. Um, but I look here and I see so the dark blue is all of their spring max velocity that they had um, in comparison to their fall max velocity in that darker gray. And then you go a step down, um, you're looking at their spring average velocity and compared to their fall average velocity. Um, and the big thing I want then, to point out is everyone gets excited about, oh, they're, they're throwing harder on the max end, but... 
they're all throwing harder on the average end as well. And that's right. what's really so important is you need to throw harder average, not just max. Correct. Yeah. So you look at this guy over here. So athlete number three. So he had an average of 28% uh, increase in strength throughout the spring. I mean, look at that average increase um, from his. That's, that's like eight miles spring. an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty significant. I mean, every single one of them have a pretty good little jump, even, you know, athlete number one over here, who's um, a pretty well-seasoned athlete. Um, you know, we just kind of capitalized where we could. Um, pretty significant uh, strength gains that you're seeing there, though, in velocity. No, that's really so impressive. Just, right. Um, were, were the players recognizing these gains? Did they realize it as well? I don't know if they realized the extent of it, but yes, they did definitely realize like, oh, my velocity increased. Um, but I, like, I don't know if they realized. If they're like a standard player, they all thought they threw 100 to begin with. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I threw right. 100. Turns out I was like 48. So. <laughs> Um, so next, I kind of went in and looked at the guys' metrics who were flagged. Um, so I talked about the primers um, and those who were flagged with a watcher warning. Um, usually, I didn't, I wouldn't let a guy throw if he had any type of uh, warning. But if it was a watch and if it was something where it was just like kind of a one-off day, he may be a little fatigued. It might be one of those situations where we might just put him out there for just a couple um, batters, you know, whatever yeah. that might be. It's sure. not something where we're going to extend him. It's going to be a limitation type of thing. Um, so I'll go and pull up that chart too. Okay, so this is actually looking at comparisons of um, strike percentages. Um, so That's crazy. So if you look at the, yeah. So if you look at the numbers on the left and the green, so that's going to be their average. So this is just looking at fastball strike percentage. Um, I didn't want to get into the, all those secondary off speed type of pitches because I feel like there's a lot of variability that lays there. Um, but if a guy can't throw fastballs for a strike, then we got some issues there. Um, so looking at the left, you can see um, four different athletes, uh, the average fastball strikes um, percentage in the green. And then in the red, you look at the fastball strike percentage whenever they had a low primer. Typically that was looking at their deceleration too. Um, so you can see that there's, a, I mean, I don't, I'm, that's pretty significant. If you have a guy who's coming out of the pen and you're expecting him to be able to throw 66 plus um, strike percentage and he comes in and he's not throwing that, that's, that's going to be a little bit of a damper um, on what you got. And coming that's, out of the that's one of the big things too, is you're, is you're pointing out something that we've been trying to get across for a long time that when people come in there and they have, you know, an average strike percentage, let's just say it's 55%. We'll just throw a random number out and they have a bad game or something like that. Everyone goes, Oh, we need to change his mechanics. That's why he's not, throwing. he's usually just fatigued because that fatigue right. is going to, if it is mechanics, that's going to cause a movement compensation. <laughs> that's right. going to cause some differences in what you're doing and just making sure that athletes trending in a positive strength throughout the year, you're going to maintain or increase strike percentages and you're pulling data that shows some really cool stuff. And again, I, I can't hammer home enough how impressive what it is you're doing with this information is considering that, you know, in the pro level, a lot of teams, you're going to say, Hey, I need to know, you know, this, this, and this between those variables and people go, well, that's going to take us about a month. We don't have a month to know this information right. and you already have the foundation laid. And then you're going to be able to have that foundation with your returning players and going, well, I know that when they're here, 
This is typically what they do. So now you're going to be able to hand information to your coaches with better foresight. You're going to polish the crystal ball form a little better and say, Hey, look, traditionally when this guy's in this range, this is what he does have a short leash today. Traditionally, right. when this guy's here, he performs pretty well. Let him, let him struggle through the first two innings, have a little longer leash today. You're going to be right. able to give information. That's very, very needed at that level. Right. And so, and I also had a guy who um, he had a warning on his or, uh, watch on his acceleration two different times uh, out of his 25 appearances that he had. And both times his fastball velocity average was three miles an hour difference than his average. So he usually was sitting in about 90 um, in those two game appearances. He was sitting about 87. Um, so be able to see, you know, he's not going to come out and be able to throw the type of velocity that he typically has. So and then his strike percentage was actually lower on, than average on those days as well. Um, so really staying in tune to those primer numbers was a key thing for us yeah. um, and something that I found very, very useful um, to be able to use in those in-game in decisions. Um, and, you know, there was a couple of times throughout the season where we would have a guy, you know, we had a guy who would be struggling to find the strike zone, um, struggled with command, and we needed a guy who would be able to come out of the pin and minimize, you know, be able to decrease when the damage is being done. And, you know, I would go over to my coach. I'd be like, hey, if you're looking for this guy to come out of the bullpen, this might not be your day. You know, you might want to wait. His fatigue levels are not worth it. You know, he, he doesn't look like he usually does. Mm -hmm. um, so, and being able to provide that data, you know, sometimes you think a guy is really, really good just because of the way he looks, you know, in terms of uh, mechanics. But that doesn't always mean that his, you know, performance metrics are exactly where they are. Um, Especially when you're getting in the middle of, it's, it's like, if you have a long road series, or if you're like at a point where, especially you're playing any extra inning games or you're playing a double header, or even if it's a long homestand and, you know, I know that your guys' schedule, you said it was pretty, pretty weird because you have a weird travel schedule because yeah. you guys are like isolated in the middle of nowhere. So there's no direct route yeah. to get anywhere. So there's a lot of bus rides mm -hmm. and bus rides are not kind to your low right. back when it comes down to it and your shoulders and everything that comes along with it. But being able to have that information to relay and go, look, this guy's just not there. It's better to mm -hmm. lose him for two innings today so that way you have him for seven when it comes down to it and a right. lot of managing is just you know not necessarily what do we got to do to win today but it's what do we got to do to make sure we're winning seven of the next ten right and I think that it came down to be very very important especially on those midweek games too so if we had a guy who would throw on a Sunday his pitch count was a little bit higher his recovery wasn't looking as good whenever we would test him on Tuesday before game time well like hey coach like his numbers really aren't looking that good because we didn't have the amount of arms to be able to have your traditional like midweek staff versus your weekend staff. Um, so everyone, it was some Tuesdays was just kind of like a Johnny Hole staff. Um, but being able to say like, hey, like his numbers aren't where you need him to be today. Do you really want him to go out there and throw, eat up one inning for you versus being able to get him for Friday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday, you know, whatever you need out of them type of thing. So I think that it's very important to be able to give those type of metrics too, because we haven't had that in the past. You know, I think that that's cut down on some of the injury rates and all of those type of things too, which yeah. I'll talk a little bit on here in a little bit. Um, just some other things that I found within my tracking too. Um, those that had a higher scaption strength relative to body weight had a higher strike percentage um, on the team. Uh, and I thought that that was very, very important and something that I didn't realize until I was analyzing, analyzing all the data um, is the importance of the caption strength. And people, you, you can probably see I'm like grinning, like uh, arrogantly, I guess you could say, is we have a lot of groups that are like, we just skipped the caption test. And it's like, no, you have to do that. If like, 
If there's one you're not going to skip, do not skip Scaption. That one is so telling. So please tell me you have a graph to show Scaption strength in something else. Uh, I don't, but oh, I, I, come on. On, on, I do have a little bit of a case study that okay, I- Okay, good. Let's go into this. Too. You want to talk about it now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so I had um, an athlete uh, who had had uh, previous surgery his freshman year of high school. Um, so he's now looking at his first year here. So this is four years prior. Um, he had not pitched until his senior year of high school. So it was one of the things where they just kind of were like, hey, it's been a while since you've had surgery. You can pitch now. Um, I don't think that there was a lot of great buildup into it. I don't know if there's a lot of great arm care, um, whatever it may be. Um, so this is a kid who was absolutely like blew your socks off in the fall looked very good his metrics were very good or not very like his performance metrics were very good um, I'll show you what his strength graph kind of looks like here in a minute um, but he had some ups and downs and it was kind of perplexing to me because it was like he had a little bit of a harder time catching up um, with the rest of the team um, but then we get into the spring the very first week of the spring semester um, and his numbers just aren't I'll just go and pull up his thing Okay, so this was his graph of total strength measured throughout um, the entire year. So you, as the purple or blue line uh, that you can see is our team average. So that kind of little gap there is from the gap that we took um, from Christmas break. Right. Uh, and also that big increase that you see too is because a lot of those, um, these numbers in the fall didn't include the grip strength. Um, so that would kind of made those variables change just a little bit. Um, but as you can see this athlete, like I said, in the fall, he was kind of up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, but his performance was good. Um, you know, we just, we did what we could to try to keep up with where he was at. Um, he wasn't having a ton of pain. We just worked a lot on recovery type of things and trying to keep his strength um, somewhat consistent. Um, but I also heard, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day um, with the, I don't even remember what his name is, Mike, Mike Killian, I believe is his name. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and he talked about the case study that he had with one of his athletes um that tried to do lawn care on the side well ironically enough this kid also does lawn care on the side um so we I, I did realize that that in the fall you know we got about three quarters of the way through and then I realized you know he's doing all these things on the side um which is obviously gonna you know in, increase and influence some of that fatigue factor that he was having he's one of those kids he's either all or nothing type of guy um so then we get into the spring um and his numbers are just kind of all over the place. Um, so we actually get into, he only had a couple of appearances um, and that was only when we were on these kind of high highs, we would actually sit him down. Um, I did honestly just about everything that I could to try to get him uh, as far as we could into the year before me and the coach were basically, and the athlete were basically just like, we, we can't keep doing this. Like something, something clearly, as you can see in this graph is not right. Um, so almost being able to use it a little bit of a diagnostic um, because then, you know, once we got into spring, his uh, performance metrics weren't where it's like they were in the fall either. Um, so just some things from his uh, arm care numbers itself. Um, so his ERIR ratio. So his average is outside of the normative data that y'all provide for that 0.85 to 1.05. Um, he was far beyond that. I wouldn't say he was at like, uh, his average was at like 0.69. Um, and then I went ahead and I 
did all the data on the standard deviations of their ERI ratios, um, and his was by far the highest on the team. So most of the guys on the team were at a plus or minus 0 0.05 to 0 0.05 to 0 0.09, um, which isn't a bad deviation at all. So you're That's just kind very of stable, a little bit of a yeah. Yes, um, but you're looking at his um, was at a 0.15. So that's kind of a lot of variability um, within an ERI ratio. Um, and then his caption strength was um, by far the lowest on the team. Um, and it was comparable to an athlete on our team who did have a known flap tear that we were, um, that he actually was able to pitch with. Uh, this is a pre-existing flap tear that he had. Um, and in terms of his performance metrics, he had the lowest strike percentage on the team. Um, he decreased um, command for the ball throughout the entire year, throughout his, I'd say the entire year. He didn't have many outings. Um, and if he did, it was just like one inning at a time. Um, he was overall um, all over the place in terms of the day-to-day, -day, like you can see in these numbers. Like some days he'd be really, really good. And then other days he'd be like, I can't even lift my arm up. Um, and then his release disbursement. So um, this is... Uh, metric that's given to us by Yekutak. Um, so this is, uh, it's a measure of how closely concentrated a pitcher's release points are. So obviously the closer to zero you are, um, you know, the more consistent your release of the ball is. And so um, just to give you some context, MLB's um, average release disbursement is 0.2. Um, our team average is 0.6 and his was a 1.5. And then um, to give context that if you go back to some of our previous podcasts, we talk about you know, tunneling of a pitch, that release point variability is kind of the basis of tunneling. That's the start of tunneling. Right. Um, so he, like, all of the metrics show that, like, there was something that was off when, within this guy. Um, and I think that being able to map his total strength, I wish I would have mapped his caption strength so you could have seen that too, because that was pretty, um, but being able to see that was um, pretty remarkable. I mean, this this athlete did end up having to have surgery. Um, and one thing to what you say, he had to have surgery, but you watch that trend line from when the fall, uh, the spring started, even when he had his peaks, he's trending down. If you're taking the beginning yeah. to that last peak, everything's on a downward trend. And it's so important to maintain strength, not just from a health standpoint, as we saw needing right. the surgery, but you're mentioning the performance in terms of your strike percentage. And if you right. can throw strikes that the definition of a bad arm, you know, you mentioned some guys have a slap tear who, you know, they're a bad arm is one that can't throw strikes or can't right. go to post. That's what a, that's what a bad arm is. And by maintaining right. the strength, you're obviously increasing strikes and you're increasing guys, you know, from getting off the IL. So you're, you're managing both those things. And I think that's pretty impressive. Just the information it is you're able to pull. Right. And I mean, poor guy, I feel terrible for him, but I mean, he knew that something wasn't right within his shoulder. He just didn't want to believe it. Um, but it, it was very nice to be able to see the numbers to be like, okay, I'm, I'm able to track these things. I'm watching the trend. I'm seeing that something's not right. You know, eventually when it got to where we had like two weeks where it was both down, it was like something, something's off. So, you know, we, we had pumped the brakes on him. We had done no throwing. We had done, you know, light throwing. We had done this, we had done that. Some days he was great. Some days he was bad. Um, and he actually didn't even hurt at pitching. He was shagging um, for BP and tossing a ball and felt his rotator cuff go. So um, it was something that little. So I'm glad that we were holding him off from pitching. Um, but things happen. So yeah. it's, not, it's not to say that um, this, you know, with arm care that you won't have any injuries, um, but you're able to track, you're able to see trends, you're able to get out in front of things. Um, 
Yeah, you're yeah. never going to have zero injuries. I mean, that's our goal. Right. And I think right now with our entire user base, we have roughly 7,000, right, Bart? Somewhere in that range? It's approaching that. I don't think it's we're, quite there yet. We'll, we'll say yeah. 6,500 just to make things easy. We have four reported arm injuries. So we're, we are beating those numbers and you guys are beating those numbers huge because right. the numbers say 53% or 52% of people are going to have a season ending injury at some point. So if you guys are beating the numbers, you know, it's pretty impressive. And like I said, I've pointed out before, it's a, it's a pretty unique place to go to school. Um, if you're looking for somewhere to go, that's going to take care of you. I mean, just if, if people don't understand the context of what it is that Kaylee's doing with all this information they're going to do what they can to take care of you. And it's going to be, it's not going to be for a lack of effort on the staff when it comes down to it. Right. Right. Um, and I have some more metrics uh, that we can go over. I just have a couple more things that if you want to talk about metrics and then we can kind of move on from there if you want to. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so whenever I was looking at their primers in terms of their deceleration acceleration ratio, um, those that had a closer to one to one were um, also those who had the lowest variance in their strike percentage. Um, so basically, they they typically stayed right within their average plus or minus five percent. Um, basically, you knew what you were going to get out of them. Um, so being able to have that balance in your shoulder, obviously, that's something um, that we all know that you need to have. Um, but I think being able to have that data point uh, is very very important too. Um, and I also had I had one guy. Um, who basically I knew if he was up or if he was down, basically what I was going to get out of him. Um, there was not really a whole lot of variability. Um, so when his uh, deceleration acceleration ratio was above 0.85, his fastball strike percentage was over 75%. When his deceleration acceleration ratio was below 0.7, his fastball strike percentage was between 39 and 57%. So that's taking notes because this is good stuff. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, and now, yeah. I was only able to find that in one of my guys um, just because he had he had a ton of outings. He was a very consistent in who he is. His mechanics are very, very consistent. Um, so I think that that's, you know, being able to take some of those other factors out helped a little bit. Um, I know this is probably a subjective question, but did you did your coaching staff notice that the guys with the higher strength were more consistent in their mechanics or was there, there nothing really to glean there? I don't know if that was really paid attention to a ton, okay. um, just in, in terms of us looking at where were they at, like, cause I, you know, I gave him a report from the fresh exams and it would be like, okay, this guy's up or is he down? So I think it was kind of more of that short term look rather than the long term aspect. Yeah. Um, and it's another uh, observation that I made and I don't even have any numbers to go with this. Um, and I wish I did and I, I will find a way to make it happen um, is when an athlete is starting to fatigue, their command will start to decrease far before their velocity will. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That there's tons of research on that. One of the things when I was working for the MPA, we did a ton of stuff on that. And then Ryan actually has some research that I'm sure we'll be able to send over to you as well to kind of great. back up that finding. But that is, you know, he, Ryan's got a ton of research on like his PhD was on, uh, you know, mechanics and fatigue. And what they found was obviously fatigue was more predictive right. of strike zone percent change as opposed to, you know, your biomechanics. So you're, you're a hundred percent dead on with that. And we'll, we'll make sure that Ryan sends you over some research that supports that. Right. I think just in the, in the data that I've been collecting and just, it didn't pop. It wasn't something that was just like readily mm -hmm. um, accessible there. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that a lot of people like, I mean, even sometimes the guys would be like, what's his deal at? I'm like, 
doesn't matter. Like his deal is where he's at. Like his command is clearly yeah. going down. Like you've got to realize when it's time to pull, when it's time to pull someone. And, you know, I, there was a couple of times where me and the pitching coach would kind of get into it a little bit in the dugout. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, he knows, he knows what the information is. It's just hard to realize it in that moment sometimes. Too, so um, it was nothing that we could never um, have a drink about after. So. <laughs> Which is the most important part there. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm, that's, that's what I've gathered from all the data tracking, though. That, that's awesome. You said that the coach wants to uh, incorporate catchers now. What, what, was the, um, what was the thought process there? Um, so I think that, I mean, he was a catcher. He was in MLB for a little bit. Um, and so he's, he's big on catchers and making sure that their arm health is where it mm -hmm. needs to be. Um, but I think we struggled a little bit this year just in terms of being able to maintain where our catchers were at. Um, you know, we saw that, you know, sometimes, you know, at the beginning of the season, our catchers were phenomenal, especially, I mean, third down to the second, that's really the biggest thing that he's looking at. Um, you know, right on target, right where they need to be. It didn't look like they were struggling. It looked like they had a really good arm path, you know, all these things. Um, and I think that he saw that as the season progressed and as we – didn't have as much training we didn't have as much time in the weight room we didn't have as much attention to those type of details um that we really saw that those things start to decrease in those catchers um and realizing how important that is i mean if you don't have a guy behind the plate that can you know have some type of production for you then it's, it's going to be difficult you know people are going to run on you um you're, they're going to play small ball on you and that's that's difficult to overcome especially at this level yeah i mean that's something that we've seen is the workload that catchers deal with it's it's huge for them to be right. paying attention to their health as well yeah because they're catching the game so if the pitcher's throwing 100 so is the catcher and then whatever the reliever's throwing the catcher's throwing that plus the in-between innings plus you know right. that the one thing that catchers don't get a pass on in practice is bunt plays and bunt coverages so there's yep. a, like the pitcher, hey pitchers don't throw on these bunt coverages today but then the catchers are like, no, rip that thing as hard as you can in practice. Right. So they're not getting, they're not getting off days, you know, and then they're catching bullpens and throwing the ball back. And then they're also, I mean, if it's a starting catcher, I don't know how your guys' program runs it, but if they're playing a three game series, a four game series and in a weekend, they're probably long tossing four times in that series because they're yep. warming up before the game with the starting pitcher doing what the pitcher wants to do. And right. then they're rolling into the game and they're doing what the runner dictates. Cause that's the thing. The catcher doesn't get a vote on what's going on. Yeah. So they're, they're like the one player on the field that it's like, it doesn't matter what you think you have to go do this. So it's so important to monitor what those catchers are doing just year round. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that we will start on them very, very heavy in the fall um, and just making sure, especially their scaption strength, making sure that that's in, in play. And I think that a lot of people don't take into account that a lot of times catchers aren't getting to use their legs to throw. Like well, some of the hardest throws that they're expected to have is throw it on a second. And a lot of times it's some, I mean, they're not going to use their legs. It, it, they're all disadvantaged. They're working. If there's a runner, if you have first and second and there's anything going on or second base and there's a, any type of steal, you're now throwing around an obstacle. If there's a left-hander right. in at first base and you're back picking, you're throwing around an obstacle. They also have an umpire. And again, most of the yeah. umpires are using catchers as a support throughout the game. I've never heard a catcher say, man, I love it when this umpire leans on me, but it happens all the time. So right. catchers just get abused. And then all, you know, obviously there's foul balls, they're sprinting, they're running, they're changing direction. There's so much that goes into catching and it's the position that everyone's like, oh, they're fine. They're tough. Yeah. Yeah. I've often overlooked in my opinion. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so you're going to incorporate um, catchers. Any other changes with arm care next season? Anything you're looking to add or tweak? Um, I definitely think that I will um, increase our testing frequency. Um, I didn't, like I talked about just a little bit ago, um, I didn't do fresh testing as often. Um, I will find a way to make that happen. Um, I'm going to work on getting just one or two more sensors too, um, to be able to have a sensor that stays back in um, back at the school whenever we are on the road. Because um, I think that that's important to be able to have those metrics. I mean, if we're gone for um, a midweek game and I have a guy who's going to bullpen that day at back at home, back at school, then, you know, he needs to be able to test. We need to be able to know. Um, and especially those guys, if, you know, if we have to leave a couple guys back, um, they might be just a little bit banged up, um, being able to have them be able to test over the weekend so that I can, you know, help, you know, and change prescribing their, their rehab plan over the weekend. Because um, I think those numbers really help us a lot of that too. And if there's a dad who comes up and he's like, well, what are you guys going to do for my kids' development? Well, this is what the league does. Here's what we do. And you can quantify that. It sets you guys apart. And then if you can tell a mom, well, this is what the league does in terms of maintaining their velo. And this is what we do. The mom's going to go, oh, they're going to keep my kid healthy. So you're going to hit, hit both ends of the spectrum on what people want to hear. Right. And I will say that this has played a huge role in our recruiting. So for every single uh, picture that we have that comes in, um, Johnny has me and our um, analytics guys sit down and I give a whole like slideshow presentation on arm care and kind of what we do and what it means and you know what it looks like for the guys overall arm care health and um, I will say that it's made quite a difference. Very cool. Um, thank you for the data. The data is awesome. Uh, it's good to see. It confirms a lot of the stuff that we've seen in some other studies or hearing about. It's always good to put real numbers to it. Um, and Jordan, anything else? No, that's awesome. Again, uh, I just can't overstate how much time and effort is going into what it is you're doing and right. to be pretty much headed up by yourself and one other individual. It's that's impressive. And that, that should never be taken for granted. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. That wraps it up guys until, uh, until next time. Okay. Thank you.